Welcome back in everyone to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Joining us today, we have the artistic director, Hal Brooks from the Cape Cod Theater Project. He's joining us today to talk to us about their 2023 season, which is playing now through July 22nd at the Falmouth Academy's Simon Center for the Arts. You can get your tickets and more information at capecodtheaterproject.org. They've got a wonderful season on tap, including shows such as Precarious, Quick Service, Aya, and It's Still Effing Tuesday, as well as a benefit reading of What Do We Do With the Dead? This is a wonderful, wonderful event, a wonderful organization to support. And we're going to learn more about it now by welcoming on our guest, Artistic Director Hal Brooks. Hal, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I'm very excited to have you here. I'm very excited to be talking about the Cape Cod Theater Project and what you all are doing up there. Let me start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about what the Cape Cod Theater Project is. Great. Cape Cod Theater Project, we develop new plays for the American theater over the course of the month of July, every summer in Falmouth, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod. So we bring up one play a week for each week in July. And when I say we bring it up, we bring up the playwright, the director, and the actors. We house them. We somehow get them fed. And we rehearse. And we rehearse basically about 18 to 24 hours each week, and then we have three presentations. And after every presentation, there's a talk back. And after every talk back, the playwright and the director reconvene with their artistic team and they implement changes. So what we're doing here is staged reading, script in hand readings of plays over the course of the week and then over the course of the month. And we have a very you know great track record, 29 years we've been doing this. This is my 12th season as artistic director. Many of the plays that we have developed have gone on to other stages, Broadway, off-Broadway, regional, and international. So we're very proud of the work that we do here. And it's all really about that intersection of audience and the playwright. So can you tell us a little bit more about this year's selections? Sure. This year's selections are, without exception, excellent. I'm very happy with the plays that we've chosen. We have chosen a play called Precarious by Steph Del Rosso. Last week was Quick Surface by May Truhaft Ali. This week, it is a beautiful play called Aya by Fernanda Coppel. And then next week, we will have Mary Elizabeth Hamilton's It's Still Effing Tuesday. We also have a special bonus presentation coming up this Sunday of a play by Stephen Belber. And this play is called What Do We Do With the Dead? He calls it a soliloquy, a soliloquy with two people. It's very much him, but on stage with him is the actress Jennifer Mudge, who you you may know from some somebody somewhere on HBO right now. And she she sort of plays his onstage dramaturg, kind of telling him about what he's doing wrong with his life and with this presentation of his life. So it's a great season. I, I can tell you about each play individually if you'd like, if we have time. But I'm just, you know, I'm just thrilled that we were able to get people up here, get people in the theater and get these plays developed for their next stage. That's incredible. So how do you pick the shows that you're going to include in your season? What's the process of that? That's a great question. We read a ton of plays. There's a a, a small committee of, of readers. We get submissions from playwrights 
directors, artistic directors, literary managers, and we have playwrights themselves sort of doing it independently. You know, we're on Cape Cod. And as you could imagine, if you if we don't own we don't own a house, we don't uh, aren't affiliated with a campus. So we the housing is the real uh, factor. So each week we rely on the charity, I guess, the generosity of our donors to house people each week. We do rent one or two houses for a week here or a week there. But since COVID, it's, you know, we, we used to be able to put more and more people in a house. Now we don't do that. We want everybody who comes here to feel safe. We want everybody to be safe. So we really rely on our donors and that informs us how big each cast can be. So if somebody were to submit a play that had 18 people, there's a really strong chance that that play would not ever come here. That's just not what we can do. We can do sometimes as many as six people, but sometimes, you know, like on July 4th, that wouldn't work because it's hard to house people that week. But on other weeks, we can, you know, have larger casts. But pretty much we're in like the, the small cast re region of between two and six people. So occasionally one person shows. Very cool. I want to turn back to this year's season, these great shows that you have on tap. And I want to ask, what has it been like developing these four shows? And then, of course, the benefit reading coming up. That's an excellent question. The development starts with a conversation, I guess, that I have with each individual playwright about kind of what their goals are for the summer. You know, what what are they going to, what do they want to develop over the course of the 18 to 24 hours of rehearsal that they have? That's where it starts, you know, and, and each playwright is in a different stage with their play. Their director might have a different take than they do, but pretty much everybody's pretty aligned about what they want to work on. So, you know, we start the week, they read the play out loud, there's questions that come up, there are people in the room with them. And then over the course of the week, they work on whatever those changes are, whatever maybe problems they might feel are in the play. The actors that we hire, you know, I consider them to sort of be the individual dramaturg of each role, but also, you know, some people who are really familiar with new play development, those actors will come in and will have a lot of ideas and the, those ideas will be incorporated potentially. And then we present it in front of our audience and our audience is really the key to our development magic. They stay after every show for a talk back with me, the playwright and the director. Sometimes the actors will stay in for that and we'll have a conversation about the play, an organized structured conversation about oh, following the Liz Lerman technique, which I could talk about. And out of that conversation, I think the playwrights then get a sense of, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Or, oh, yes, you know, I actually have been thinking about that thing. I'm now going to reincorporate that in the script for Friday when we have a pickup rehearsal for Friday night show. And then again for Saturday when there's another pickup rehearsal and then for Saturday night show. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's all week about it's all about the development of the play. Some people will take huge risks. And they'll make major changes over the course of the week. They'll be able to see something Thursday, completely gut it for Friday, and restore it on Saturday. Or they'll want to, you know, just hear the play each night differently as, or, or similarly, as the actors get, you know, more and more familiar with the material, their performances get elevated and people can really hear their play for the first time in front of an audience. So, Development will take its, as many different courses as there are plays. So there's no, you know, single method for it. But I really do rely on the playwright and the director. The director, I always want to have sort of a dramaturgical mind, and most of them do, to kind of chart out the week and attack it and then go with the punches wherever the punches may lead. What a fantastic development process. I love it. 
I'm leaving out the most important part, which is that we're on the Cape, right? And so it 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 would be it would be irresponsible of me if I said that, you know, you have to be in the room rehearsing all the time. And this is all about rehearsal. This is all about development of the play. The the secret sauce is not just the audience. It's also that we're up here. And we try to create an atmosphere where people can enjoy themselves. They can rest. They can relax. They can disengage from the city. They can be free of the, you know, theater industry, that whole ecosystem. So they're not like attempting to audition the play. There's no major, you know, Guffman's not coming. It's really all about the process here. It's not about the audition of the play here. So with that comes like an opportunity for the actors, the playwright, the director to really be in a sort of sanctuary in a little bit of um, a retreat where they can just sort of like, you know, rest, relax and approach the work in a beautiful, you know, the beautiful work in a beautiful place. And that's kind of been my ongoing ethos since I took over in 2011, 12. I love that. So I'm sure that for my next question, there's an answer for each individual show that you're doing, but I'm going to ask more broader with the, this year's festival in general. Is there a message or a thought you're hoping that your audiences will take away from this year's festival? You know, I don't know. I, I, it's, we, had a, we have a thing that we call stage talk every Tuesday, usually, of each week. And it's a way for the audience to meet the playwrights, you know, during their week of development. So it's a great conversation. It's a great opportunity for the audience to sort of get excited about the play. And a similar question came up about, you know, what we're doing. And I would just say that, like, you know, I have, I hire, you know, I hire, I, I bring people here to develop plays that are about dealing with the problems of the world. And sometimes that can be matters of the heart. And frequently it is. Or sometimes it's about messages that we're all kind of wrestling with. Last week's play was about the food service industry and how they're exploited. It was done magically. And, you know, there's a lot of fun in this play. The lines that, that May has written are very, very funny. But ultimately, it's about diversity and the exploitation of that diversity in the food service industry. On some level, that's what it's about. It's also about talking empanadas. So there's that, too. But, you know, the first week, it's about a relationship between mother and the daughter. But it's also about climate change. It's also about the world. It's also about, you know, the problems that we're facing and, and how people, you know, kind of branch off differently. This week's play is a person, a man and his wife are divorcing. And he goes down and takes ayahuasca down in Peru with a, you know, a spiritual guide. So that's about the matters of the heart. It's not so much about, you know, something like climate change or, or guns in the schools or something like that. It's, it's about, you know, how, how two people can be true to each other. That's, you know, that's what that plays about. And then our final play, It's Still Effing Tuesday, is a modern, a modern adaptation of Long Day's Journey into Night. It's an it's a elongated scene or the, it's the relationship of the maid and the mom, but set in a modern, modern idiom. What's that play about? Is it about addiction or is it about relationships? You know, I, I think it's about both. So the, I don't think there's any broad theme this year. The four plays that I just mentioned are all written by women or female identifying writers. That's the second year in a row that's happened. And it wasn't on my, you know, on my end, it wasn't like this year anyway. It certainly wasn't like that's what I have to have happen. 
it's really how the plays came up. You know, the plays, the plays that I that came into my hand, the four that I most wanted to program were those. So there's the fifth play, which was Belber, who is not female identifying, is he his play, I just loved it. And I was just one I wanted to schedule it and find a way to schedule it. And he was in a writer's room on a TV show in Toronto. And so I couldn't program it for the season. So I kept, I was always looking for like, maybe I could do this over a weekend. And then ultimately the strike happened and he was available. So, you know, it worked out for him to be able to come down and it would, it worked out a little bit more easily, but I, you know, I always wanted, was trying to figure out a way to get him down. Cause I, I went to a reading of this play at his apartment in Brooklyn and I just thought it was funny. I thought it was about living and about life, about certain places where we are in life. It's about relationships. And I just wanted the, our audience, I just thought that this is a good fit for my audience and I wanted to see it. But in terms of trying to like come up with the, the themes this year are about the timelessness of nature. That wasn't it. It wasn't like that. It just, I, I try to pick plays that are maybe on some level speaking to each other, but perhaps on a sort of mysterious way or a mysterious level, but plays, you know, sometimes I find a play and I try to find its opposite. And then I try to find a play that would be a good balance. And then a, the fourth play balance is that it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's, it's a mystical thing, how these things get, get put together, but I'm, I'm super proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. They all sound fantastic. So my final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to this 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 festival and this season you know you were about two hours from boston about an hour and 15 from providence it's a little far for people to come down for the night see a play so we're really looking at people who are here full year round in on cape cod people who are summer people who rent for a month and love us and come back every year and then we're looking for our new people our new crowd that can be people who see it, something about us somewhere around the Cape or nearby, maybe even as far as Boston, that has happened. And they come down and they check us out. People who love new plays. I will say, I will say this. One thing that has is always in my mind as I'm doing season selection, we are near Woods Hole. And for those of you who don't know what Woods Hole is, Woods Hole is where a lot of people take the ferry to go to Martha's Vineyard. But it's also the home to four or five scientific entities, Woods Hole Oceanographic, Marine Biological Laboratory, National Academy of Science, Woods Hole Climate Research, which now has a new name, which I'm forgetting, NOAA, which is the National Oceanographic Association. Those those are the people who found the Titanic. So you have all of these scientists, marine biologists, et cetera, who are here. And you know what? A, they crave culture. And B, they understand development. They understand experimentation. So we sell an all-access pass. People can come on a Thursday, come back on a Saturday and see what's changed. And people, of course, can participate in our talk back on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So that is one thing that I think differentiates us from any other entity is the fact that we, A, do three shows per show, except for Belber, when we do a, a benefit like that. And B, we're surrounded by culture-seeking scientists, who many of whom come to our plays. So that's, and that's not like our, our main audience, but it's like a, definitely a, pat, a, a pack of our audience, a part of our audience. So.
changing things up here for the second part, I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. I want to kick this off by asking you what or who inspires you? What playwrights or composers or shows have inspired you or are some of your favorites? Oh, gosh, that is a big, big question. Do we have enough time? You know, I'm always inspired by the playwrights that I'm reading each each year. I love the fact that there's always new, you know, like it's one of the things that excited me when I first left college and decided for sure that I wanted to be in theater or rather in performance. You know, I, I lived in L.A. for a year, was waiting table, but taking classes. And I realized like. In every class, there was were young people. Right. And that's never going to not be the case where people, young people are interested in the performing arts and they're going to study acting. They're going to, you know, want to do film. They're going to want to do theater. I'm always just kind of amazed by new voices that come seemingly come out of nowhere. And of course, do not. They are all, you know, many of many of the so-called new playwrights have been, you know, working real hard for a number of years, but just haven't had a break yet. Many of the so-called emerging playwrights have been around for years, but just haven't had a hit yet. And of course, you know, those who are more experienced, they've been around, but, you know, everyone goes through their cycles about what they want to write about and how they're writing and how they're changing their writing. So in terms of like my biggest influences, you know, or the or the, the plays that have often really excited me, I mean, I think there's two that's, that are in my bio that I'm most proud of having been part of. One, and they're very, very different. One is the the playwright, Will Eno. I've always been a huge fan of his. He and I worked together back in the day. Tom Payne was sort of a breakthrough of his. And I got, I had the opportunity to work on it with him. And I love, you know, whenever he writes. And I love that kind of style of, of abstracted writing. And then to balance that, there's a woman named Nalaja Sun, who's a solo performer, we did a play that was very political and very emotional. And it was about her life as a teaching artist in schools in New York City. And she played 16 characters, most of, you know, all of the kids in a class, herself, the principal, somebody's aunt, you know, just a range of characters. And I loved working on that with her. And that's another, you know, very different voice than Will's, you know, like I love kind of the ability that you can be a fan and not be pigeonholed into a certain kind of writing. But, you know, if I really think about it, like the the, the plays that have been exciting me of late are, are you know, there's just a, like I was thinking of um, I'm blanking on the name of Tina Satter's play and Lucas Nath's play, uh, Dana H. You know, those plays are, are extraordinary. They're they're revolutionary looks at at, 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 how, at like transcribing words and turning them into. Have you did you see Dana H.? I yes. did. It was amazing. It was amazing. No, it's amazing. And I'm and I'm sorry that I'm forgetting what, what was Tina's play called. It was the one about it was like the reenactment of 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 Is this the, a room. Yes, that's right. And you know, that reenactment of a person getting arrested according to, you know, the transcripts. Amazing. Just amazing reinvention of what theater can be. And I have to say, in in uh, both Tina's hands as well as Les Waters and De- uh, working on Lucas's play, you know, there's actual magic happening on stage. In, like not, you know, theater's magical. It's actual magic when, you know, you're looking at at Dana H. And you know, it's just like you you start to lo- you start to forget that there's an actress on stage 
who was mouth flapping with the the actual audio of an interview and you just start to you think wait no no that's it's not it's not actually happening right now it's an actress and a director and a playwright kind of all at their at their best so those those are like the the performances that have stuck with me of late that have really you know really inspired me as a director and as a reader of plays so so kind of That's building great. on that, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Well, of course, everything here at the Cape Cod Theater Project. I just saw Brandon Jenkins Jacobs, The Comeuppance. Oh, and that was pretty great. Yeah. That was really great, actually. I was I was very happy that I got to see it just before I left. It's It has like, you know, we developed uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning here by Will Arbery. It has mm. definitely a connection to that. It's sort of like, I would say, a, sis, a sibling of sorts, but it is really, really good. And it's it really has stuck with me. And so I would definitely, you know, if people, I think it just closed this week. Yeah. But if people get a chance to see a, a remounting of it or a new production of it, I would highly recommend it. Highly recommend reading it too. Yeah. Well, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? You know, I have to say, I love directing probably more than anything. I love being in a room. And I think that's probably most people's favorite part about directing is being in the room as opposed to like the production itself, the direct, you know, like seeing the seeing the play come to life is sometimes it's more exciting in the moment. Like when you're in that in that room, developing it and like teasing out problems. I love tech. That's another like that's where I feel like you you get all the tools and you get to you get to sort of paint and play. I love those moments of creation, but I do love being an artistic director. There's nothing, you know, nothing too shabby about being able to to try to figure out a, a season of plays that is helping people, like helping playwrights get that next thing that they need to get their play going, providing something for them, and also providing something for your audience that is entertaining. It's that kind of, you know, the hope is that it's that nice thing in between where their engagement, the audience and the and the playwright are sort of working with each other. That's what I'm that's what I'm sort of after. So, yeah, that's what I think I like best is it's interesting because in a way it's the opposite of being in the room. Right. Being in the room is like, you know, you're it's all process. But for me, it's a moment of, like I really like when I'm choosing the plays and I'm marketing the plays, and then I'm seeing the fruits of that with our audience to see if they're getting what I got when I read it. So in a way, I'm, it's almost like I'm not as interested in, in the performance of it as I am in the conversation that follows it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. And now we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, <laughs> what is your favorite theater memory? It's interesting. I mean, it's the, it's the one that comes to mind often in terms of teaching, oddly enough. But when I was a, a young pup, I did musical theater and I loved, you know, performing. I, for some, you know, awful, awful reason, my, my school would, would take us to Bucks County Playhouse, which is nothing awful about that. But they had a contest, you know, like, each, each school would bring up a half hour version of a play or musical and you'd be in competition, which is like, you know, I don't like competition when it comes to theater. I don't really, you know, I, I watch the Tonys begr begrudgingly 
you know, I used to like going to the OBs to see my friends and that kind of thing. And sure, I like winning awards and so forth. But in, it, like, if you think about it, it's kind of gross. It's gross to give out like, you know, why is one, you know, one great performance better than another that year? It's just, I don't know, it just, it just rankles a little bit. I remember Dustin Hoffman once saying something to that effect when he was receiving his Oscar for, I don't know, Kramer versus Kramer. Basically that, you know, I, the gist, the gist was like, I didn't win. We all, you know, this is shared with everyone. And I like that. All right. So back to seventh grade. And we're taking a half hour version of you're a good man, Charlie Brown. And I'm playing Charlie Brown. And there's a scene where he eats a peanut butter sandwich. And my mom made me a peanut butter sandwich on wheat bread. And I'm on stage and uh, I choke. Like I choke on a peanut butter sandwich. Like not choke, choke, but just sort of like, <laughs> I'm trying to swallow, I'm trying to swallow. And, you know, I had high hopes that I was going to win the best actor in a musical award. And instead... The actor's name, I don't know why I remember, but like the guy who was the, the adjudicator, one of the guys, his name was Newton Gilchrist. Great name. I think he had acted on Broadway and was down there for whatever reason. And he would like critique every play. And, and he's like, I want you to know that you don't have to eat when you're on stage. You just have to act as if you're eating on stage. And you should certainly never eat peanut butter on stage because you will choke as this young man did. You know, whatever he said, and it made a huge impact on me. And I didn't know why until much later. But of course, it's about the as if part. That what we do on stage, and this is not the first time I've said the word magic over the course of the, you know, the past 40 minutes. But what we do, there's a magic. And the magic is pretending that this is a sword, not a pen. Or that this has the secrets to, you know, the, the old Soviet Union are, is like trapped in here. It's not just some adapter. It's our ability to believe in what's not real and make it seem real. That is what acting, I think, when it's at its best, can really be. That everybody is in on that. And as we're talking about Lucas Nathan and that that wonderful play, you know, Dana H. It's like that. That is about we are all complicit in believing that that is the truth, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a big lesson for me. Don't eat a peanut butter sandwich pretend that you're eating on stage so it's one of those things i've taken with me in life as a teacher as a director and even when i was an actor you know so that would be my my theater story about me i'm sure there's some about seeing things but that one comes to mind first i love that absolutely love that thank you so much for sharing sure. that are there any other projects or productions that you or the Cape Cod Theater Project have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Well, it's never too early, right? So we're turning 30. Not me, but the, the company is. And this will be my, it'll be my lucky 13th year. So we're going to be gearing up for a big 30th anniversary come next July. And it'll be happening all across the year. We'll be doing projects, some in New York, some back up here. Some will be about residencies for playwrights. Sometimes it'll be kind of a stage talk that we'll do with playwrights in New York City. But you know, this is all coming together now. But I guess it's a big stay tuned. Stay tuned for our 30th. That begins almost, you know, our 30th year begins in a month. It's amazing. Oh, I'm so excited yeah. about that. Thank you. And perfect lead in to our final question, which is if our listeners want more information about the Cape Cod Theater Project, 
or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Best way to reach us is by going to our website, capecodtheaterproject.org. You can always reach me at hal at capecodtheaterproject.org or artistic director at capecodtheaterproject.org. The only tricky thing is theater is spelled with an R-E, but otherwise just look it up and that's how you'll get us. Wonderful. Well, Hal, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this incredible, incredible organization, this wonderful season and and sharing your wonderful insight and story. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Wonderful to be here and good luck with your project. This is a great, great thing that you're doing. Thank you so much. Sure thing. My guest today has been the artistic director of the Cape Cod Theater Project, Hal Brooks, who spoke with us about their 2023 season. It's currently running now through July 22nd at Falmouth Academy's Simon Center for the Arts. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting capecodtheaterproject.org, and that's theater with an R-E. Their season includes shows such as Precarious, Quick Service, Aya, and It's Still Effing Tuesday, as well as a benefit reading of What Do We Do With the Dead? We have several options for you to reach out to the theater project, as well as how that will be listing on our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But if you are in the Cape Cod area or you just need an escape from the sweltering city, during the summer right now, head on up there, get your tickets at capecodtheaterproject.org. The festival, as it were, runs through July 22nd, and you do not want to miss these great works. And we'll be following them to keep you in the loop on their big 30th anniversary, which is starting soon. So stay tuned for that. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.